these words and as we learn to understand the kind of relationship you're calling us into with you and with ourselves and with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as you can see, I'm not there in New York City today for the first time since the pandemic started. We aren't in the building there at Avonhope on Sabbath morning, and uh, it's, it's, it's a little disconcerting. I'm used to being in the building, but uh, this is also the first time in many months we've been out of the city at all, so it's been actually really amazing to reconnect with nature. There are trees up here, just like in Connecticut, and so trees, snow, we are way upstate. I can barely pronounce where we are, but uh, we'll be back soon. Can't to stay away too long, but it's been amazing to uh, disconnect for a little little time here uh, upstate. It's, it's beautiful, by the way. So uh, now, as is our tradition, our Avon Hope tradition, we spent the first month of this year reflecting on our purpose and our mission as a community of faith. Next week, Michelle Adinma will be closing our series, but today... We look at this intriguing text that comes from Jesus' most famous sermon, and it connects with the incredible poem by the 22-year-old Amanda Gorman, the youngest inaugural poet ever and the first person to be named National Youth Poet Laureate, who also used the theme of light to frame her poem at the inauguration. You may remember it. It was an incredible moment, so inspiring. She started rhetorically when, uh, by stating, when day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? Then ended with these words, when day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new day dawns and it blooms as we free it, for there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. It's a profound ending, and I can't do justice to her recitation of that, so you should definitely go on YouTube and hear it for yourself if you didn't hear it on Wednesday. But a profound ending, an incredible and timely poem, and it reflects Jesus' own words from our text of emphasis today found in Matthew 5 that we've already read. And now, of course, Matthew 5 is not the first place where Jesus used the idea of light uh, in the world. In fact, in John chapter 8, and verse 12, it was a little different. Jesus spoke to the people and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, John 8, Jesus was calling himself the light of the world. But in Matthew 5, our text of emphasis today, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he calls them, he calls his followers the light of the world. It's, a, it's, a, it's changing things around. Instead of himself being the light of the world, he describes his disciples as the light. It's a big, it's a big shift. Now, there are some pretty clear elements that jump out to us from the, the passage. First of all, a follower of Jesus, according to Jesus, should be like light. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you have light, you shouldn't hide your a light. You shouldn't put it under a, 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 a bushel, as we used to, to sing. But it should be bright for everyone should illuminate uh, everyone and everything. Now, being up here in the, in the country, in the woods, in the wilderness, I was reminded of how dark it can get, you know, in the city. You know, it never really gets that dark. Uh, but man, when you're in the woods at night, I've gone on a walk a couple nights here and uh, it is dark outside. And so 
you need light. Light is re related to, to good things. You need to be able to see where you're going. And so here Jesus is relating light to good work. Uh, the passage is directly uh, correlated with what Jesus has already described earlier in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, his famous start to the passage, to this sermon. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, we read, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus' call to be light, to do uh, good in the world, is related to this passage, this idea of the, 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 the blessings of all of these actions, but also all that's to come, because the rest of Jesus' sermon is going to talk about what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus and what kind of actions Jesus' followers uh, take. So the lessons that we uh, learn from this text are pretty obvious. Good works should be an essential part of the disciple's life. By the way, the, the word here, good, can also be translated as beautiful. And so the idea that it's not, we're not just talking about uh, ethically good works, but beautiful works that help other people. One commentator says it like this, to let one's light shine is to live in such a way as to manifest the presence of the kingdom. This conclusion can be drawn not only because of the context, but also because the Good works entailed are connected with the glorifying of the Father in heaven. Letting one's light shine is living according to the perfection of the kingdom and therefore manifesting the righteousness of the Torah according to its correct interpretation, examples of which shortly are to emerge in the text. The love commandment provides the foundation for all of these good works. And so, as the commentator states, the outcome of these good or beautiful work should be that people, including those who maybe are not of the Christian faith, come to glorify God because what, have, what has been done. So the idea is that such amazing things happen, such verifiably beautiful things happen, that people who are not even of the faith of following Jesus, that they are astounded and they too glorify the God of the Bible. It's happened before, of course, in Acts chapter 2, we read that the early church, they met together every day in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. The newborn church, they, they were widely received by the, the people, maybe not the government, but by the people as being verifiably good and doing good things for their communities. And so good deeds, good works, beautiful deeds, beautiful works should therefore be an essential part of any church's witness to the world, any disciples witness to the world. Now, if you've, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous sermon from which this comes, you might remember as a little caveat, a little note that Jesus in Matthew chapter six, just one, one passage later actually says, don't do 
good works before the, the people. Uh, but the implication there is pretty clear. We'll actually come back to this in a, in a moment. The implication there is pretty, is pretty clear. It's a warning not to do good works deliberately for self-glorification. In Matthew chapter 5, our text of emphasis, the outcome of the good works is that people, again, even people outside of the faith, will say, wow, <laughs> their God, the God of the heaven is awesome. Credit will be given uh, where credit is due. You know, when my, uh, my package arrives from Amazon, uh, I'm not like, wow, I can't believe our UPS guy, Sean, is able to manufacture a 48-pack roll of toilet paper uh, and also piano books for my children. Uh, no, I understand that there is a source behind Sean that provides the, the means, and he's just delivering things. And he's got an important work. The delivery and getting it to me is incredibly important, but there's somebody, and it's not Amazon, who's manufacturing the goods from which I, 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 or of which I get. And so, same here. The idea is that there are good works that the disciple of Jesus does, and, but the recognition of the source of those go works goes back to God. There's glory in God that comes from our good works, our beautiful deeds. And so, Christians will do things that make people say, wow, that's amazing. Their God must be awesome. That's the idea behind Matthew chapter 5. Now, uh, look... I, I don't know about you, but I was inspired when I heard Amanda Gorman when I, when I read uh, the words of Jesus, like, I want to be a light in the world. I want to I help this broken world. I want to be the light. I want to live up to what uh, Gorman and what Jesus have laid out for us. But the truth is, Christians, individually and as a whole, we haven't always had a great reputation in actually doing good that is verifiably good for everyone. In fact, it leads to our question, why is good work or beautiful work uh, that verifiably benefits other people and humanity at large often not the outcome of the Christian experience? That's the question we want to wrestle with. Like Jesus has given us this incredible mandate to do good in the world that's going to glorify God, uh, but oftentimes that's not the experience. And so what's going on? And uh, there are a couple responses to that. One you know, if we're honest, the Christian interpretation of good work has too often prioritized personal piety over those things that actually help people. You know, personal piety is rooted sometimes in private experiences. We study our Bible. We, we pray maybe privately. We attend to worship. Each good things, each important things, each things that we should be uh, doing. But if these are not accompanied by actions that actually help people, real, live people, they aren't fulfilling God's purpose for our work, our work in helping people. God, God's calling for good works that will bring glory to God, but if we're only internal, we're not fulfilling our call to be a light in this broken world. It's, it'd be like one of the pharmaceutical companies that are producing the vaccine, amassing the vaccine, but then never giving it out. I mean, getting it into the arms, as everyone is saying, is the key. You can't just make it. You got to make sure that it gets into the arms. And so thank God no pharmaceutical company is doing this. But, but 
if they were amassing it and holding it and making it and we never actually got got to it that wouldn't that wouldn't help much and so getting it out getting it out as a follower of Jesus just having practices that are only internal and only for ourselves or that we keep to ourselves you said don't don't hide your light under a under a, a pot or a bushel you got to get it out and so Jesus is imploring us to do good works that shine light everywhere. So it's one thing to be developing the internal spiritual life, but it, if it isn't represented in a way, in a way that is, has a positive impact on other people, then we aren't really being the light that God's identified for his disciples to be. Uh, secondly, the good work that we do do is often motivated either by the desire to appear good ourselves or uh, and to uh, and to other people or to appear good to God therefore kind of proving our validity to God and this goes back to the age-old problem of moralism we feel like we have to prove ourselves to God and so we do things so that we we can prove ourselves to God this by the way relates back again to Matthew chapter 6 that we talked about earlier but let me read it for you so you can get the context in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus says be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you, your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus is clear. Look, if you are doing good just to glorify yourself, then that's a, a problem. So don't do that. Light illuminates now our own goodness, not the goodness of God. That is a problem. Uh, this thing that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 is about revealing God's glory, God's love, God's care, God's compassionate creatorship of this world, and the fact that he is a, 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 a parent who loves his kids and, and wants to be revealed as that to all of them. And so as disciples, that is what our good work is to do, to illuminate the great God of the heaven. And so people will be drawn to him. Finally, we struggle with actually living this through and, and, and doing good work that is verifiably good for everyone because we compartmentalize our lives. We might actually figure out ways to do good work that is perceived by others among the Christian community or our, our community of faith, but then we live a completely different life when, when we're in another context, when we're at work or in, in other social settings. So we have our experience that happens when we're together with people of faith, and then we have another experience, a completely different experience that happens in other uh, contexts. And obviously, obviously, that isn't going to work if we're going to be a light in, broken, in a broken world. Again, we'd be hiding our light under a bushel. And so when we really reflect on our actions, it's pretty obvious pretty quickly that we aren't inherently full of this light that Jesus and Amanda Gorman have told us we should be about. We don't inherently have the light, the light that does work from the beautiful work that benefits the world at large. This is an inherent part of our experience. In fact, conversely, our actions most often 
are related to the darkness of selfishness if we're completely on our own. And while we may have spurts of selflessness, our hearts are always calling us back to take care of, number one, ourselves. So it leaves us, as always, with the question, <laughs> what hope do we have? I want to do good. I want to be the light. I was, I was compelled and inspired by the message by Amanda on, on, on Wednesday. I'm inspired by the words of Jesus to be a light in this broken world. But inherently, I don't have that light. And so where do I go from here? Well, the good news is that in Jesus, we see one who did good work, who did beautiful work, unselfish work from beginning to end, whose life was dedicated and devoted to his brothers and sisters and humanity, you and me. And this doesn't mean that he, of course, that he didn't have times where he was, you know, beating himself physically and spiritually. Sometimes when we talk about selflessness, we, we overlook the need for self-care. Self-care is important. In fact, there are passage, passages in the Bible where oh, we get a clear understanding that Jesus knew how to take care of himself. He spent time alone and he spent time personally praying and, and communing with God. So self-care is important, especially in times of distress. And self-care done properly, actually helps us to be brighter lights for others. So in Jesus, Jesus had that balance of proper self-care, but also selflessness. We see this most evidently in the cross. In the sacrifice of Jesus, we see true unselfishness, true peacemaking. Jesus' action fulfilled a prediction that he himself made in John 12. He said, I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Something was going to be compelling about this selfless work that Jesus was going to do that was going to draw attention to him as the creator God. He goes on in John 12, 35 to say, uh, you are going to have a, a, the light just a little while longer. He's talking to his disciples. Uh, walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark doesn't know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. Jesus was clear. The light emanates any light, any good. All things good come from God, we're told. The light that, that needs to penetrate the broken world ultimately originates in God. And Jesus and his selfless work were the greatest manifestation of that. But as we walk in the light of Jesus, this is what Jesus is saying, as we walk in the light of, of him, we too can be transformed so that we can become light in this broken world. As we believe in the light that comes from God through Jesus, we can be light, we can be a light for others. As we believe in the work of Jesus, God is enabled to do his work in us and make us a light for good in this broken world. In Jesus, we can live out the words of Jesus and the words of Amanda Gorman and be the light that helps this broken world, that draws all people to glorify God and brings about peace and healing and justice in a world so in need of it. And so, as we get to the end of this first month of the year, may God do that in us. May he help us to be a light for good in this broken world as individuals and as a community. And may we shine for him in all things.
Amen.